Paul is saying here is that this church is rich. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This was his heart for the children of Israel. And so Aaron as a high priest would make the sign of a hand sign, almost like a west side. It, it was the sign and symbol of the name of God, which was Shaddai, El Shaddai. And they would pronounce this blessing every time the children of Israel would come in and make an offering to the Lord. The Lord wanted them to know that he wants to bless them. He wants to keep them. He wants his face to shine upon them. And he wants to be gracious to them. And the Lord wants to lift the light of his face upon them. In other words, he wants to smile upon them. And he wants to give them peace. Amen. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for your presence, your sweet presence. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. I was glad when they said unto me, let us come unto the house of the Lord. And so we love gathering with your people because we know that when we gather in your name, you are here in our midst and here to bless. Anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us this morning, that we may not only be do hearers of your word, but doers also in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says, Amen and Amen. <coughs> one, of, one of the best secrets I can give you for reading the scriptures and reading the Bible is that you don't read into the Bible. You read out of the Bible. In other words, next time you pick up your Bible, imagine you taking a trip in a time capsule, a time traveling device, and you are traveling back in history and time to the first time those words were spoken and to the first time that event happened and occurred. If you're going to truly understand the scriptures, you have to peel away the English translation at times. And you have to get behind what the Hebrew or Greek or Aramic is saying. And so when you read the scriptures, you have to read the scriptures in two ways. To get the best fruit out of the scriptures, you have to read the scriptures in two ways. You have to read the scriptures devotionally with your heart. In other words, just simply read the scriptures. Don't look for, um, you know, profound truths. Just read the scriptures and read the scriptures and get into the habit and discipline of just enjoying the simple reading of scriptures. And then you get to hear what the Lord is saying to you. And then the second way of reading the scriptures is reading the scriptures like a scholar. You read it with your head. You apply some mind work. In other words, when we worship God, we don't put our minds in neutral. We apply some mental exertion. Like some of you accountants and, and lawyers here, yeah, when you have to try and balance books, you try and reconcile the account. You apply some mental effort. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. You've got to give him your mind, your thoughts, your focus. And so when you read the scripture, you come as a scholar and you come as a child. When you read this blessing, 
I want you to look at it from a Hebrew perspective, from what it was like being a Hebrew. These were a nomadic people. They had no land. They had no fancy buildings. There were no cars. There were no fiber, no internet. These were farmers and agriculturalists, and, and they tended off the sheep and goats, and they planted crops. This was the culture and times of the Hebrew people. And so for a moment, we're going to explore some of the terms. I took the time to do a word study <laughs> of Genesis, oh, sorry, Numbers chapter 6 from verses 24. So when the Bible says, the Lord bless you, try not to think of the word bless you or the phrase bless you, like how we think about it today. Ah, God bless you, sister. You know? I'm going for a job interview. God bless you. Like, I hope it goes well for you. For the Hebrews, this wasn't a casual phrase or term. When you say God bless you, there was some history and weight to the blessing of God. So the word bless in the Hebrew, the word bless in the Hebrew is the term Barak. Barak. Barak in its literal meaning, is to kneel. So in ancient times, what would happen is when you would honor a king, you would come with your camels, and the camels would have these expensive gifts on them. And the camels would kneel down in order for the gifts to be received. Also in ancient times, whenever a gift was honored to a king or people, the gift was always offered in a kneeling position. And so when you hear the term bless in the Old Testament scriptures, it has and conveys the picture of kneeling. So when the scripture says, the Lord bless you, we can get some kind of misunderstanding around it because would that mean that God has to kneel, the sovereign God, of the universe bow down to bless us but the picture is not one of a king kneeling no it's the picture of little Brooklyn or little Cameron or Charlie running to me and say daddy daddy give me some and so what I would do because I tower far above her I would bend down eyeball to eyeball to bless her. The psalmist says that God stoops down to make us great. Whenever God has to bless you, he stoops down. Like a father would bless his child. There's something you got to understand about God, and this is where we, got it, we get it totally wrong. Because sometimes as preachers, we, done, we have done such a good job with deterring you from the truth that God wants to bless you. What father would not want to bless his child? In fact, Jesus said that if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to their child, how much more will our heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? So I want you to know this morning that it's God's heart, your father's heart to bless you. And I know, I know you've experienced some some rough times and I know you've experienced some down times and I know you've gotten so low that you can look a snake 
in the eyes. But I want you to know that the heart of God is to bless you. And the blessing of God makes rich, makes full, and it adds no sorrow. Yes, my sister, God wants to give you a good man. Yes, my brother, God wants to give you a good woman. That's the heart of God. He wants to give you that job. But how do we attract the blessing of God? Because we have to be positioned with the blessing of God. The children of Israel had to come to the temple and the tabernacle for the priests to pronounce the blessing of God over their life. So they had to be positioned for the blessing. And the same is true for you and I. We position ourselves for the blessing of God. One of the ways we position ourselves for the blessing of God is we attract the blessing of God not so much by what we do, but by who we become. Who we are and what we become attracts the blessing of God. And I shared this when, when Dr. Yanez was here, I think at the, at the offering uh, talk. I usually try to stay away from the offering talks. <laughs> but we attract the blessing of God in three ways. In three ways. Because there are three great temptations and traps for mankind. First John chapter 2. All that is in the world, love not the world or the things in the world, but the things that are in the world are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. A more modern uh, preaching way of uh, illustrating this is the three Jeeps. It's the gold, the glamour, and the girls. Or if you were a girl, the guys. The lust of our hearts, uh, the envy, the jealousy, the pride of our hearts, that can deter us from the blessing of God. So the three greatest ingredients or the three antidotes we have to attract the blessing of God. And if you look to all scripture, those three sins were the reason for the fall of Adam and Eve. When Jesus got to the temptation with, with Lucifer, he was tempted in those three ways, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So the three antidotes to attract the blessing of God and to overcome these enticements of the wicked one is integrity, is humility, and generosity. Integrity, humility, and generosity. Those three principles will attract and position us for the blessing of God. Integrity, because the scripture says, he will uphold or withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly before him. Yeah? It's always a strange contradiction when, when you know someone has, has attained something illegally. You know, they own something illegally and they say, hey, I'm blessed. No, that is not how the blessing of God is measured. Sometimes we expect the most from God 
and we give him the least. Sometimes, and, and I, I say this a lot um, when my wife and I are talking, you know, I say this a lot. Prayer is no substitute for disobedience. If you disobeying God and you are violating his word and his will and you're hurting God's heart, you can't pray yourself out of that until you repent. Until you, you fix your walk. And the Bible says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Him who has clean hands and a pure heart. So you've got to come and repent and turn from your wicked ways. And so very often, we want the blessing of God, but we don't want to live the life that He requires for us to attract His blessings. That's why in Scripture you'll read, if you read someone, Bible says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the path of sinners, or seated in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates both day and night. Blessed is the man. In other words, the man who delights in the word of God and meditates in the word of God is blessed because of the life he lives. This is who he is. He doesn't take joy in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't take joy in, in, in the practices of the ungodly. He takes joy in righteousness. And because this is who he or she is and the life they live, the scripture says, blessed are they. They are blessed because this is who they are. And so the blessing of God is a manifestation of a life that is surrendered to him. Bible says in Proverbs 10 verse 6, the blessings of God are on the head of the righteous. So we got to live our lives as high as our jump. We got to offer more than lip service. We got to offer life service. God wants us to be blessed and we attract the blessing of God by having integrity. My word is my bond. I practice what I preach so that I can preach what I practice. One of the other ways we can attract the blessing of God is by having humility. Bible says, that he gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. Bible says he hates even the look of pride. Now we have to be careful because we have to define what pride is. Okay. Having pride does not mean you have riches and wealth because I've met the most poor and struggling people that have the stench of pride. So pride has two faces to it. But I'm going to define pride simply as this. Being overly too preoccupied with yourself. Even having a pretty party is being full of pride. Oh, God's not blessing me. Oh, things are not coming right. Oh, that's pride. That is pride. Complaining is an expression of pride. 
Oh, things never come right for me. Oh, why is he blessed and I'm not blessed? When is God going to do it for me? Those are expressions of pride. Someone who's so preoccupied with themselves that they don't see the needs and concerns of others. Everything is about me, 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 myself, and I. The man or woman wrapped up in themselves makes a small package. You gotta humble yourself under the hand of God that He may lift you up. The expressions of humility is that you think of others. You think of others first. Not just about your rights and your entitlements. Before you think about your entitlements, think about what are your duties. And your duty, first and foremostly, is love. You owe every man love, according to the scriptures. Owe no one nothing except love. We attract the blessings of God by being humble. Being humble also means I'm teachable. Being humble also means that my brother and sister can approach me and correct me and say, Pastor B, what you said there, I don't think it's in line with the scriptures. And if ever you hear me say, Sister, I've been in ministry for 50 years, eh? And that's how I've been around the block. If ever you hear me say that, I've disqualified myself from being humble and receiving His grace. Bible says, submitting one to another. You know, we say this in, uh, in marriage counseling a lot. We say, you know what we like to say? Husbands love your wives as Christ has loved the church. And, and, and wives submit to your husbands. You know? And, and, and we think that's, that's where it starts and ends. But if you just read a few verses earlier, and Pastor B taught me this, just read a few verses earlier, it says submitting one to another. So as, as a man, you also have to submit sometimes to your husband. I mean, so, you know, Zue, for some reason, knows the roles of Gauteng better than me. <laughs> you know, I just got my license a few years ago. <laughs> Not a few years ago, but she... She, she knows the ins and outs of the, every corner of Johannesburg. So I'm insisting, no, this is the way. And every time I'm adamant, I find myself wrong. <laughs> so I have to submit and say, okay, babe, you're right. And then Titus says, older woman, teach the younger woman yeah. to love their wife, to, to love their husbands. And so we've got to be teachable, we've got to be humble, we've got to be willing to be corrected and rebuked. Peter, a mighty, mighty apostle, Paul said in Galatians, he seemed to be a pillar in the house of God. He seemed to be a pillar. In other words, Jesus holding the works here. <laughs> and he says, when I saw him showing discrimination between the, the, the Jews and the Gentiles, I approached him. And withstood him to the face. And so even as a mighty apostle, Peter was willing to be corrected. Sign of pride is not willing to be corrected by your spouse. Sometimes even by your kids. Sometimes even your kids will tell you, Daddy, what you said was wrong. 
One of the other ways we attract the blessing of God is by being generous. And the scripture says this in Proverbs, that if we give to the poor, we lend to the Lord. That's Solomon's way of saying, when you give to the poor, in some sense it's like God's indebted to you. Because you're so generous, God says, I'm going to bless you. Because when you give, you are most like God. God is constantly giving. If God decided to not give or to take back, he would take back the air in your lungs. He would take back the sun that shines on us. So the scripture says that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. He gave the darling of heaven. He gave his best. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's always giving and he's always looking to bless us. The blessing of God has always been a major theme in the scriptures. He came to Abraham and said, I want to I give you land. He came to Abraham and said, I want to give you a child. But Lord, I'm a hundred years old. And Sarah laughed and said, hey, I'm 90. <laughs> this frail, dusty womb can't conceive. Because you know, I want to bless you anyway. And some of you, not too far long ago, you were drowning in your sins. Drowning and wallowing in your iniquity. Some of you are bound by different kinds of addiction, by alcohol, by drugs. And had God not showed up in your life, where would you have been? But God is a giving God, a loving God, and he expects us to imitate him. And Paul lived his life in such a way that he described his life as this. He says, I am like a drink offering being poured out. Otherwise, I'm always being poured out. I'm always giving up my heart to the people of God, to the kingdom of God, to the king's agenda. So be a river and not a swamp. The highest form of Christianity is to be a blessing and not just to be blessed. And so the Lord wants to bless us. The Lord wants to keep us. The Hebrew word for keep is Shema. That word literally means thorn. So if you understand what the shepherds would do in ancient times, is that when the shepherds were away at night, they would, they would create this coral of thorns to hedge in the sheep, to protect the sheep. And in some similar sense, that's how God protects us. He creates a hedge of protection around us. And then the scripture says, the Lord to make his face shine upon you. The Hebrew word for face is the word panem. The word panem is always used in a plural sense, never singular. So it's almost like the multiple facets of who God is, of his face. The interesting thing is that the face, the, the term for face is also the exact term used to translate into 
the term presence. So to seek the face of God is to seek the presence of God. And so to seek his face literally means to seek his presence, his manifest presence. You know, when the scripture says the Lord to make his face shine upon you, I ask myself, where, where did this come from? Where did this expression come from? This comes from one Hebrew, one Israelite, who did see the face of God. In a literal sense, but Moses said, God said of Moses, he speaks, I speak to Moses face to face. All you other prophets, I give you dreams and, and impressions and, and signs and symbols, but Moses, no, I speak to him. He hears exactly what I'm saying. No cloud of mystery you have to decode. And so Moses, every time he would come down from Mount Sinai, he'd come and his face be shining. Because he'd commune in the presence of God. And so God's saying in a similar sense, I don't just want one man to have this experience. I want the entire children of Israel to have the radiance of my face shine upon them. It's for all God's children. And the only way you get the radiance of his presence on you is by spending time in his presence. Scripture says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, God speaking to the children of Israel, he says, if my people were called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven, forgive them of their transgressions and heal their land. That was an invitation. Seek my face. If we're going to have God's face shine upon us. We have to be willing to seek his face. All God's promises have a premise. All his pledges have a condition. If you want my face to shine upon you, you've got to pursue me. Because the law of attraction is you get what you look for. So if you look for me, you'll find me. If you want my face to shine upon you, and my presence to shine upon you. You have to seek my presence. You have to seek my face. And so he spoke to David in Psalms 27. And David speaking in the Psalm. He says, Lord, you said seek my face. And my heart said, your face I will seek. And that is still an open invitation, family. He still says that today. Seek my presence. Seek my face. Will your heart say, your face I will seek. Proverbs says, in the light of the king's face is life. And his favor is like the clouds of the latter rain. Seeking God's face simply means that you're seeking to be in his presence and not get anything out of it. I just want to enjoy him. I just want to be in his presence. God's presence is expressed in so many different layers and truths, family. 
The goal of the new covenant is the presence of God. It's always been the goal of redemption, the presence of God. You open Genesis, you read about Adam fellowshipping with God in the presence of God. You turn to Revelations, you find out that we are in the immediate presence of God. When, when the Father uh, uh, fleshed out his plan to redeem humanity, he sent his Son and he was called Emmanuel, God with us. And the last promise he gave to his, to his apostles before he, he, he ascended to the Father, he says, know this, that I am with you. I'm with you even to the end of the ages. He wants us to be in his presence. He wants us to love, in his, to, to love his presence, to seek his face. And so he comes and he makes us his temple. And his presence dwells within us. Because God is everywhere. And the Bible says, in him all things consist. There's no way we can run from him. He is everywhere. And since he's everywhere, it is safe to say that he is here right now. And the only issue we have on our side is that we're not aware that he's here right now. And so he comes to live inside of us and dwell inside of us and to fellowship with us. And then the next expression of his presence is that we two or three are gathered in his name. He is there. So when we come together as a corporate family, we experience that expression of his presence. And one day, when we go on to glory, because it's appointed for man to die once and thereafter the judgment, we won't approach his judgment with fear. We come as sons and daughters of the Most High. Because Jesus said, he who believes in me has passed judgment into life. And so we come into the presence of God and he says, well done. Good and faithful servant. Come into and rest into the joy of the Lord. The presence of God must be more than just a concept for us. It must be an experience. A relationship must be experienced. For some of you, marriage is just a concept. And we can have all the knowledge and all the clever advice on marriage. But until you experience marriage, it's a different playing field. So we can talk about, yes, God is everywhere. And yes, where the presence of the Lord is, there's fullness of joy. But family, until you experience the presence of God, it's a different playing field. There were times, I'm sure you, you've experienced in the presence of God where you did not want to leave. Just hours and hours worshipping and you didn't even throw your eye to the time. Just in the presence of God, something special was happening. You could feel his presence all over your body. And that's how I felt when I first encountered the presence of God. I was in church all my life. I grew up in church. I mean, for all 16 years, maybe plus the nine months I was in my, my mother's womb, I was in church. But one day, God manifested himself. One day. And at that moment, at that moment, 
it felt as though the building was going to cave in. And I could not move because the presence of God was there. For 16 years going to church, and on one day God shows up and everything changes. Right. I've got a friend who's, I wish he was here to testify this story. And he was addicted to rock and buttons for years. Like 25 years of his life. Every time his salary comes in, next morning, gone, shoops, smokes it all out. For 25 years, smoked out his salary, puzzled from day to day because of his addiction. And one moment, his mother came to him when he blew out his salary, like 18,000 and just whew, gone. Mother asked him for, for money to buy a loaf of bread. He said, Mommy, I don't have. And at that moment, he said, the presence of God became so tangible and convicted him. And what was a 25-year addiction ended on that day. Because the presence of God came into his room. At that moment, he said to me, Bevan, all I could cry out was Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, some of you, all you need to do is seek to be in his presence. Seek the face of God. Seek the manifest presence of God. The things you're struggling with now will be no longer a struggle. Because mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. Wherever God reveals his truth to us, He's always inviting us into an experience encounter. You must have encounters with God. I'm not talking about angels popping up and guiding you across the road. No, you must experience him in one way or another. If we don't experience him, it becomes a dead religion. A dead religion. When you get into the presence of God, you get to hear the voice of God. When you get into the presence of God, you have the privilege of having the King of Kings hear your heart's cry. When you get into the presence of God, you begin to realize that what's His desire and His will is more important than your will and your desire. I want to ask you this question this morning. When you get into the presence of a king, of a monarch, and the king gives you an instruction and command, is it a responsibility or is it an honor? It's an honor and privilege, family. When the king says, this is my desire for you, this is my command, I don't feel the weight of the responsibility. It's an honor to serve you, King. It's an honor to do your work. Your burden is, is light. Your yoke is easy. When you fall in love with Jesus, what burden? What do you mean get up six o'clock in the morning for church? <laughs> That's not a burden. Four o'clock for some of us. <laughs> That's no burden. And everybody says, Bevan, I don't know how you do it. I mean, we've got studies, we've got little other business projects on the side, we've got work, we've got 
500 kids in the house. We've, we have to manage on-site construction in our house. We always have someone doing something in our house. <laughs> you know, there, there's church, and someone says, hey, how do you do it? Man, you're about assignments due every week. I'm just scraping the deadlines. It's no burden, family. It's easy. It's easy because it's an honor. And it's such, it's such a disappointment sometimes you get people like, uh, I can't do that. Nah. It's too much of a responsibility. That's why when Isaiah got into the presence of God, nobody reads it like this, but in, in Isaiah chapter 6, Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died, um, Uzziah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he trained for the temple. And, and the angels were crying out one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then he said, Whom shall I send, and who will go? There was an open invitation. There wasn't an address to Uzziah. Uzziah was in the presence of God, saw the glory of the Lord, and he heard the cry of the Father's heart, whom shall I send? And who will go? So Isaiah stepped forward and said, It's an honor, my king. Here am I. Send me. Send me. When you get into the presence of God, His will is what you seek. When you seek His presence and you seek His face and you seek His will, you find His favor. You find the favor of God. The favor of God comes to you like the latter rain clouds. And you know, like, like in ancient times, when the Hebrews saw the clouds of the latter rain come, they would rejoice because they knew the favor of God was upon them and they would have good crops. <coughs> the last thing I want to say around this point of obtaining God's favor, as the Bible says in Luke 2, Verse 55, that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and he increased in the favor of God and in the favor of man. Jesus had to increase in the favor of God. The word for favor in the Greek is the word where, called uh, charis. It's where we get the word grace and gift. Now, you've heard people say, uh, when they speak about favor, you know, I'm, I'm in so-and-so's good books, I mean, Clinton's good books, I mean, your good graces, you know. Something you've got to understand about favor, two things. Favor is about access. I have access to Clinton. I mean, his good graces. I favor with, with the mayor of Johannesburg. You can speak to me. I have connections. I know people who know people. I have access. So having the favor of God means you have access to God. You have a certain power with God. Like Jacob had. That's why sometimes I'll say, uh, when, when I come across possibility, I say, hey, keep praying for us. Because I know if you pray, God's hearing. <laughs> so, favor speaks to access, and favor also speaks to receiving something from God. There's no way you can be in favor with God and not receive His blessings. We have to learn to steward God's presence. We need to know how to handle and court the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. And we learn how to court the favor of God and the presence of God by being obedient to His Word. The measure of, of your love for Christ is your obedience to Christ. 
You can sing, I love you, Lord, till you blow in the face, but until you are obedient, you have not expressed love. Love is obedient. You tell your wife you're obedient, uh, you love her, and you go and you got a, a side chick, a slave queen. No. Love is expressed in loyalty and commitment. How do we steward God's presence? Two things, and I'm done. We steward the presence of God by not grieving the Holy Spirit. And we steward the presence of God by not quenching the Holy Spirit. Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit against whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not grieving the Holy Spirit simply means this. That we grieve him when we sin. When we do something wrong. Can we still talk about sin in the house of God? <laughs> Our sins keep us from the presence of God. So when we knowingly do something that hurts the heart of God or inflicts harm on people, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. How do we quench the Holy Spirit? We quench the Holy Spirit when we fail to do what is right. It's not a blatant act of disobedience. It's him who knows how to do good and does it not. To him it becomes sin. It's the sin of omission. In other words, you know so-and-so so -and -so needs encouragement. Or so-and-so needs help. And you just turn your eye away and become indifferent. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't go up and beat that somebody down. No, no, no. For you, you felt safe because you didn't do anything wrong. But in actual fact, you quenched the Holy Spirit. You quenched the Holy Spirit. He gave you an instruction. He prompted your heart to do something and you didn't do it. You quenched the Spirit. So that's how we steward these prayers. That's how we, we come into the presence of God. We don't grieve Him and we don't quench Him. God's desire is for the light of His countenance to shine upon us. In other words, in some expression, the scriptures are telling us that when you come before the King and in the presence of the King, and when you get the King's smile, and when you see the pleasure of the King, you have his favor. And that's all we should live for, family. We should live for the smile of God. Bottom line. We live before, ultimately before an audience of one. And we live for his approval and for his favor. Amen. Can we stand? We're going to serve out the communion this morning. While the communion is going around let's take this moment to earnestly seek him just a few moments if you found yourself in the presence of God this morning I want to assure you and encourage you of this beautiful truth and nobody will ever love you like Jesus.
Yes, you've been wayward. You've been so distant from him. You forgot now to pray. You've grown cold in your relationship with, it, with your God. But I want to assure you today that nothing that you have done can change the degree of his love for you. He still loves you the same, all the same. He knows the most about you and the worst about you. But nobody will love you like he loves you. And I want to show you that he is not mad at you. He's mad about you. So much so that you have a reminder in your hand. I know sometimes the truth wears out. But what you have in your hand will always be the ultimate reminder of his love for you. That he shed his blood for you. He was nailed to a cross for you. And greater love has no man than this. That one should lay down his life for his friends. And he laid down his life for you, family. He laid down his life for you so that you can lay down your life for his. He took up that cross so that you would take up your cross. He drew near to you so that you would draw near to him. And I want to ask you, how long will you run? How long will you be a vigilante? Stop your running this morning and run to him. Run into his presence. The king wants to show you his smile. Father, we thank you right now that Burdens are being lifted. Chains are being destroyed. Your anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. I pray right now that that cigarette addiction will break. I pray that drug addiction will break. I pray that alcohol addiction will break. I pray that pornography addiction will break. I pray, Lord, that any form of addiction this morning will break by the power of your blood. And that, Lord, you will, you will set us free. You will set us free indeed. You are a great deliverer. I hear those chains falling. I hear those chains falling. That addiction stops today and goes no further. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice. We will never forget your sacrifice. We will never stop singing about your sacrifice. We will never stop talking about Christ crucified. We love you because you first loved us. Now pray, Lord, as we partake of these emblems, you remind us of how you cleansed us and forgive us and how your grace is sufficient for us. And Lord, you will heal us as we partake of these emblems. You'll heal us of any sickness and disease, colds, flus, aches, pains, bone disease, heart disease, 
cancer, you'll, you'll heal us and make us whole. But the power of his sacrifice. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? Bless us now, we pray, and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. Let the light of your countenance be upon us and give us peace. Make us whole, nothing broken and nothing missing. In Jesus' name, you may eat and drink. Amen. Family, you can give the Lord a hand. God is good. I'm not sure it's the way.